for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Today's show is all about camo. How important is it? What we look for in our camo, the pattern, why we use it, when we use it. We answer all the questions from our viewers and our listeners today as well. Camo, now you see me, now you don't. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and elk hunting coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Welcome back to Elk Camp with me and Joe. Uh, I have Joe Gillia with us, uh, elk guide uh, from New Mexico. Uh, and really good, close personal friend of mine. Uh, welcome to Elk Camp. So, Joe, while I was working today, what were you out doing? <laughs> were you well, all searching for sheds or <laughs> hanging out with the elk or what? Man, let me see. This morning started out uh, about 8 o'clock. I had about a good 20 bulls in front of me. Um, I got to work. I, mean, I get these texts from Joe, and he's like, check this out. I'm up by so-and-so lake. You notice I didn't get where that was. That, that's exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, yeah, look where I was at. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I'm working, and this cat's up there in the mountain being one with the elk. Well, the, the cool thing is, is uh, today was Chav's birthday, so Chav's not here today. And uh, we had all those bulls. And, yeah, happy birthday, Chav. Absolutely. Uh, we won't mention any years or anything there, but uh, we had these bulls in front of us, and today's February 27th, and the biggest bulls, the ones with those real, real thick racks, you know, um, they're dropping. You oh, know? that's cool. That's yeah. cool. 
Won't yeah, be long, of, you'll be able to do some shed hunting. Huh? That Oh, yeah. I, we're going to be back at it again next week. We want to give it a week, let the snow go down a little bit more. But, uh, you know, we saw a couple, of, I mean, uh, forearm thick. Come on. Oh, I'm talking forearm thick just with one, wow. you know, sticking up there on the side. So, wow. you know, we figure right there in that first week of March, all those other guys could see a lot of six-by-sixes, a lot of smaller bulls. And what happens is, is those heavy ones – you know, as, as those horns are smaller, they kind of come off later and later, but you know, sure. it's, it's like finding a little, uh, little gold mine out there. So it's pretty you got a tough life, man. You <laughs> get to hear about all your fun. I could yeah. bore you with all the oil field talk today, but I'm not going to do that. But that segues into, you know, we've, we've had some, uh, some listeners, uh, call in and, and send us some questions. So we can talk about some questions today. Today's going to be all about camo, uh, for sure, what we talk about. Uh, but I guess before we get to just camo, you guys snuck into that herd of elk, so I'm sure y'all had some camo on. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but before we do, why don't we answer a few questions? Sure, you bet. So uh, we got a question here. Uh, it says, uh, Joe, talk about being uh, in the woods for a couple hours before daylight. Don't you worry about spooking animals that you can't see in the dark? Well, you know, it's kind of a catch-22. You guys got to realize we're all hunting, you know, uh, public land. Right. And, uh, you know, um, some I've got to decide whether it's going to be profitable for me to risk it, to uh, be on those animals first thing, or for other people to be out there spooking those animals. So, um, myself, I've had it a few times when... I've gone out, and yes, I've had some animals. You know, you hear them running off through the trees and stuff. That's going to happen. But again, when you're, if you have that aggressive attitude and you're an aggressive type of hunter, and uh, you know, when when I, what I mean by that is, you know, we just don't go willy nilly out there. We're just not mm-hmm. hauling through the woods. For sure, we're using the wind and everything. Yeah, but we're going to. It's going to happen. You know, when you're trying to create your opportunities you're going to have it happen where every now and then, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, where I hear an animal bugle and I think he's just not going to be coming in and I'm cutting that distance down ASAP. Next thing I know, I'm looking up and that sucker's done cut the distance in half and and I blow it up. But, you know, uh, it's going to happen when you go out early in the morning. But I really, really like to be on those. I, I If I go out, nice and early a couple hours before I get out there and just little sweet cow calls try to get something that's talking back a little bit and a lot of times those bulls especially the early season bulls you can call it a cow call it's not a cow call it's a bull doing kind of the same thing it's just a little bit has a little bit of a different sound to it but you got there a lot last year yeah. A lot man it was crazy I had no idea they'd make those kinds of sounds for sure well, you know, cows even do like a little bit of a bugle. Ooh, I don't know yeah, if you've heard sure. that before, yes, man. Sir. But they yeah. they start whining enough and and gets up sounding kind of like a bugle. Yep. But I, I like to move nice and slow through there because the great thing about those two hours before daylight, especially if there's no wind, that sound carries forever. For sure. You know, long and, long way. Yeah. So you get out there and you give a little, you know, yeah. For sure. Make it really sweet. Right. And you'll hear those bugles go off and stuff. And, and I, man, I start moving in. And uh, 
I try to get in. I, you know, I, I try to make sure I'm not getting in too far in their zone. Um, I want to be able to get to where I can kind of hear some noises. And then um, when that sun's starting to, you know, I get that gray light, you know, I, I just uh, can't rush it at that point. You got to be patient. But that's sure. the whole deal is just locating. That's all I'm doing, locating, closing the gap, and getting in on them. You know, Joe, I was talking with one of my good friends at uh, our deer camp this past weekend. His name is JB Self, and he's a big do-it-yourself elk hunter. They've been doing it for about five or six years, and he's eating a bunch of tag soup. And uh, a lot of it, it, it goes back to what you're just talking about right there is creating opportunities. A lot of times they hear a bull or something, and they just say, well, you know, you know, if we go in there, we might blow things up. And he's like, you know, I've just come to the realization is if you don't try, you ain't never going to win, you know? Well, and and yeah, I, 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 I agree with some of that. And uh-huh. I told, and I told him, he goes, look, I mean, I got nothing to lose trying to make an opportunity. Right. right. And I agree a hundred percent because if you don't try, you'll never know. Now, look, you, you got to be prudent, right? You have to use your wind. You have to understand where you're hunting, you, the where, way the thermals are working, what time of morning it is. But mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. The earlier, the better to get to feel like where we can set up on on a herd of elk. And, and truthfully, early season, we're trying to find those cows, right? Yeah. And if you can find those cows, those bulls are going to be close by. Well, and, you know, when uh... – I've had guys that have talked to me and they've said, you know, uh, you know, they've been on a hunt and they said, well, I, I, I called to this bull and I waited and I waited and I waited and he never came in, you know? Right. And, and it's funny when you, when you talk to people like that, they honestly don't really understand the situation. And, and well, that's why we're doing this. That's why we have blue collar, uh, uh, that's, that's podcast, exactly right. That's exactly what I told JB to tune in. He's going to benefit from this. Uh, and you know, we talked about uh, the very thing of creating opportunities and having a real positive attitude, uh, and and then not you know not being too aggressive with your calls early. You know, trying to get in position where when it does get light and you can see, you can make that that move on the herd, right? Right. Move on that bull because well, there may be several bulls that are there. I mean, you sure. and I've been together and we start calling it's daylight. I mean, it's hard to see them when they come walking in. We just walk right in the middle of a herd. Right. You know? Right. But I, sure. I, I just like that situation where I have, because they're not rushed. As soon as that sun comes up, depending on, you know, if they've had a moonlit night, depending sure. on what's been going on that evening, you know, they might be heading early heading from, you know, where they're at up into those trees and up on the ridges. What's nice about when you do that in the dark. Now I tell people too, you better be careful about that because, you know, if you're going to be moving through branches and stuff, you got to be real careful. You don't want anything poking you in the eye. You don't want to trip and fall and hurt yourself, you know? Yeah. Uh, But um, I like that opportunity of having to be able to, of being able to relax and move in on that animal and kind of close that zone and, and, you know, get myself right for the wind. And I might not have to talk anymore. Right. You know, I might not yeah. have to, I might just be able to move right in on them and let them do their thing. So, for you sure. know, I, it, it is something where, yeah, you do blow out animals. It's going to happen. Yeah. But I guarantee you, you walk through the woods during the daylight 
and you're going to blow out animals. For sure. You know? you, yeah. you, you're walking all of a sudden, you look up, boom, there they are. I agreed. Well, uh, the second question that we have today is, uh, you say you're real aggressive with your calling. Are there times right. when you think you shouldn't call? You know, it, yeah, the, the, the fact is, yes, there are times when I shouldn't call. And, um, you know, I love to call, you know, that's what I love about turkey hunting. I love, For sure. uh, love elk hunting because you get to communicate, but, you know, it's not all about me just calling, you know, even though that's something that I love to do and I enjoy. There's times when you get in on some animals and they're working and and they've got everything happening. You don't need to let them know that you're in the location. You know, right. you might be able to slip in, you know, uh, get in between a bull and his cows, you know, look at some of the different situations that are happening, read the situation if it's something where the bull has gone off and he's kind of working off there, I can take my grunt tube to the back and give just a little small cow call to pull him over towards me. And I'll tell you this, there's some times when they just don't care. You know, yeah. there's, I mean, you can sit there and talk to them and bugle and they'll sit there and feed and move off and they just don't care. And so you gotta, you gotta try something different. You just don't stay with the same thing. And there are times when, you don't want to call. I, I remember specifically, I, I moved in on a nice, huge herd bull, had about 20 cows with him, slipped all the way in, got within 30 yards of his cows with him on the other side. And I thought, oh, buddy, man, I, I'm, I'm in high cotton right now. So I went ahead and gave a little cow call. He sprints over to his cows, rounds them up, and gone because I came in unannounced. It was something that hadn't happened before. I hadn't heard this cow coming in, and mm -hmm. it just it just totally blew him out. And, uh, boy, I didn't feel too smart at that time. <laughs> well, and on the flip side, I've seen you actually call the cows off the bull. Right. right. Call it, call them to you. And it's my, my experience that if you can get between now, I've had seen it where it didn't work out for us, but if you can get between a bull and his cows, you got him. Right. Oh yeah. Then it's about being patient and just letting the animal come to you. Right? Sure. Uh, Cause when he hears you call, he knows exactly where you're at. That's exactly uh, right. And I mean, you and I have been in some places where we've had the cows between us and them, and then they hear another bull and they turn and go to the, to another bull. And it's like, man, are, are these bulls not caring about cows or what? <laughs> I mean, they will throw you a curveball from time to time. Definitely. And that's why For we sure. call it hunting. And that's, For that's sure. the beauty of what we do here. I mean, it's uh it's not an exact science. It's uh it's a hunt. It's, it's you, it's the bulls, the cows, you know, today being out there with all those bulls, you know, me and Chav sneaking in up, up on those guys. And there were about, there were some cows in another group. And um, we saw probably, uh, we saw, we probably saw a 200 head today, wow, you know, between cows awesome. and bulls. And, and that's what we were talking about on the last podcast is that we like to use opportunities like that to do things like trying to move in on them, seeing what's happening with the wind when they're moving and uh, just get used to and feel some of those situations. So yeah, that, that was pretty cool today. Man. Yeah. Uh, another one of our uh, viewers and listeners, uh, they, they said, uh, I'm from Texas like Gilbert. So how does, uh, 
how do you get ready for the challenge of elevation, right? Altitude. Well, Gilbert, how do you get ready, bud? <laughs> so one, uh, one of my mentors from back in the day, the late Carl Gamage told me when I first started to come elk hunting with him, he said, I'll tell you how to get ready. He says, take a Walmart bag and put it over your head and tie it shut and then take a pin and poke a hole in it and go run around the block. That's exactly what he said. That's how to get ready. He said, people might think you're a dumbass. He said, but you're going to be just fine. He said, if you can come up here and do that and run a mile with that bag over your head, you'll be fine. Well, little did I know I didn't listen to him and I didn't put the bag over my head because I didn't walk like a fool while running around my block. But, um, I did. I do drive all the neighbors' dogs crazy for about three straight months using my elk calls and stuff like that going around the block. But it's important to it's important to get in shape, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, most definitely because you know um, that's one thing I'm real proud about you, Gilbert. A lot of people don't understand. You know this this gentleman from Texas, um, Gilbert Ornelas, isn't just somebody that uh, has just started elk hunting. I think you and I started hunting together probably about nine years ago. Yes, sir. And I think when I met you, you were about 325 pounds. Yeah, 330. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right in that area. And, uh, you know, like I tell people, you know, yes, you can be 330 pounds and kill an elk, but your opportunities are now limited. And, you know, you were you were hunting with other gentlemen at, at that time and, um, your focus pretty much was like blinds, you know, you use blinds yep. and yep. sit in those and, you know, because you get in this hilly country, man, I, it, it uh, it's, it's tough uphill on even when it's downhill. Yeah. I mean, it's uphill even when it's downhill. I mean, so I'll never forget I, it. I, I like told- to died my first time. <laughs> <laughs> Carl wanted to strangle me cause I, I passed on a five by five. He wanted to strangle me. He said, I've been carrying your big behind he didn't say behind but he said i've been carrying your big behind for two days and i pull a bull that's 32 yards from me and you pass him oh my god i don't know what i'm gonna do with you he was well, he was not happy you know uh i remember the first time that you you know you asked me he was like joe i want to hunt with you man and and i told you i said gilbert i said you come back having lost this amount of weight and i will hunt with you because with my style of hunting it it's not going to do you any good because you're not going to be able to to move the way we need to move and you know that was 325 then um you're at 250 something right now 257 this morning yeah and and, uh, you know and i talked to you about all the running that you're doing i i tell people if you're going to get in shape to swim the english channel well, you, you swim and you yeah. swim a lot, man. Yeah. So if you're going to, if you're going to go elk hunting, man, you gotta, you gotta walk a lot. And, you know, I tell people to go up and down hills, um, you know, do steps, do step ups because shoot, you spend most of your time lifting up a foot and putting it over a log, uh, volcanic rock. that's not yeah. flat. Right. I mean, there's just nothing up there that's, it's, all brutal for you to do. Yeah, when when we're in that lower country, you get in the higher country, it's a little bit better, a little bit smoother. We could do a whole podcast on boots and socks, right? I mean, seriously, I mean, two of but, the most uh, important things you can have on an elk hunt. 
You know, I, I advise anybody that's not from high elevation to, I don't know what your age and, and, and what your condition is, uh, consult your doctor, um, talk to uh, your local high school coach, ask them to help you out to get in shape. And it really doesn't, you know, like I do a lot of running during the summer. It's not because I like to run, it's because I like to chase elk and I love to chase elk. So I do some running, but I do stuff where I'm actually walking and then I run. And when I first start off my training seriously, I'm doing like 80% walking and 20% running. And then what I'm doing is I'm trying to increase that. So I'm going to do so much. And by before I get to the the elk season, shoot, I'm doing 80% running and 20% walking in there. And you can do just as much for your for your body really going hard. Like when you do a little bit of running and you come down to that walk and you stay at a fast pace, because that's kind of the same thing as when you're going after an elk, man, you start really getting after you hit a hill hard, you top out and you got to keep going. So now you're still walking. You're trying to get that oxygen in. Right. And how many days does it take you to acclimate when you get up there? I like to be there a day early and, uh, and when we come in and make camp up and stuff like that, but I, it takes me a couple of days, but I tell you one of the things that I do that really helps me is I start on an aspirin program. It helps thin the blood down a little bit. So I don't get those bad headaches. Mm-hmm. I start that a week before I come. And then the hydration part is huge for me. Really, uh, You know, a big guy is going to sweat a whole bunch and, and you're not going to feel it up there because the temperature is going to wick that sweat off of you pretty quick. It's cool in the mountains most of the time. Right. And, uh, but it's the hydration part being hot, well hydrated before I get there. I take one bare aspirin a day before I get there. And then I try to go up two days early if I can. That's a day getting up there. So you're probably about half a day in town and then coming into camp, setting camp up. That's another full day of being in the altitude. And then I'm, I'm pretty ready to go the next day. You know, and every year that I've done this, it's actually gotten better. That first year I came up there, not only was I 330 pounds, but I had never been in the altitude really before. And I'm going to tell you what, brother, it was like somebody put a piano on my chest, you know, (laughs) and I'm serious. I I couldn't sleep at night. I mean, it was, and there are guys that have been with me that have have experienced that on our hunch, you know, right. Um, They just, I mean, even our Venezuelan brothers, I mean, they had a tough time. One of them had a tough time last year because he just couldn't get past that altitude, you know, poison that he had. So, um, and, 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 you know, those guys are in real good shape. So, yeah. But if you, if you remember right, you know, one of those fellows that we're talking about was actually, you know, he was thinner the first year he come up. No doubt. And a lot of times it, you know, you figure, well, I did okay. And so I'll be fine when I get there, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, it's you got to man, you got to prepare for it. You have um, to. You know, I'm already starting. So I mean, I got 30 more pounds to go. I want to be right at 230 when I get there in elk camp this year. Uh and my regiment's going to be different from yours. Uh I have asthma. So mm-hmm. in the cold months here it really it really right. it's really hard for me to run. But I tell you what I do. I, I, we walk and then we run for two minutes solid. Right. Right. And then I shut it down. So I don't lock up my, you know, people with the, you know, uh, 
lung issues or high allergies and stuff like that, it's hard on them running. You know, sure. but the, the lighter I get, the easier that's become. So there's a, there's a type of workout, and I tell people out there to, to take a look at it. It's called a HIT workout, high-intensity right. type workout. And they have found that, you know, uh, it, when you do a high-intensity workout, you're going really super hard for about 20 seconds, yep. you know. And then you're off for 10, 15 seconds, then you go hard. And, and you only do this for a minute or two minutes, but it's yeah. so intense that it, it really works your system. Well, so, I, I can re- I can recall times you and I've been together where you know we've had to go you know right. and and you just suck it up and it's a t- couple of minutes of really hard charging and then then you got to compose yourself and get your breath back because you won't have to draw that boat you know I've been a several times with you where I'm like I don't know how the hell I'm gonna draw this bow back because <laughs> I can't even breathe you know but it come the the better in shape you are the quicker that recovery comes right. Uh, because there is no substitute for living in the altitude, but you will recover a lot faster if you've worked before you get there. Sure. The other thing I would tell guys out there too is, um, you know, rifle hunters, bow hunters, uh, is walk with something in that hand, yeah. you know, because you, <laughs> you get there and you start hunting and, and hiking and doing all of that. And man, you carrying around that, that rifle and, Boy, I tell you what, next day your shoulders are killing you. You know, it's really tight. It's going back and forth. Same thing with the bow. So walk something, you know, with something in that hand if you can. You know, wear a, wear a pack that you're going to wear and throw in 10, 25 pounds inside that. You know, I, I tell somebody, if you throw 25 pounds in your pack and, and you just walk with that, you should be ready because I, I don't know many people carry 25 pounds in their pack when they're out there, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that, uh, another way to get ready, but well, you yeah. taught me a long time ago, less is more, you know, for sure. I mean, when you're out there in the middle of it, of course, you know, you being a guide and everything, you're going to have most everything. These guys that are DYs, you know, that are, that are out there doing it themselves. A lot of them, they pack a lot of other things with them, you know, um, that's a whole podcast in itself, which yes, it is because what you could put in your pack, you know, you know, it, what it, you should have in your pack. I, I you know, it's kind of like me wanting to call with a, with an elk call. There's a lot of guys, man, that's like, well, I bought this for the hunt. I'm carrying it for so, sure <laughs> until about day five, you know, and then day oh, five, yeah. I'm like, I, I think I'll I get rid of that. Our, I watched the guys in our <laughs> camp start shedding things, man. It's like, well, how come you're not taking that? Oh man, things heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, yeah. here's an elk. We gotta go, and I'm gonna lighten the load. <laughs> exactly, man. Yeah. So uh, that's a really great question. I, I'm really glad somebody asked that because you know it. It's if you're going to come from Texas, if you're going to come from the East Coast, if you're going to come from you know California, those places. And you're coming and spending the money to come up to a mountain state and hunt. Right. I think you owe it to yourself to make sure that of all the things that are going to get in your way, that are going to limit you, that are going to make things difficult, you can help lessen that just by being in shape. For sure. For sure. Well, our fourth question and last one today, it, they asked, um, if you had to select one thing that changed elk hunting for you the most, a real game changer, what would that be, Joe? Oh, wow. And, uh, man, you know, 
God, I'm, I'm like tossing between two things because for, for me and the way I hunt, what some people do with their trucks, I do with a four-wheeler getting from one place to the other. So mm-hmm. th- that's been pretty critical. You know, that's just to get into an area and then heading it, you know, heading out on the potas, man, getting on the feet and really For going sure. after it. But, you know, I I would say that the biggest game changer, the one thing that changed the way I hunt and freed up my hunting more than anything has probably been the GPS. You know, uh, and now, you know, that that's one Onyx, of those things yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, sure. Everybody carries a GPS with them. Right. You know, uh, when we talk about blue collar elk hunting and we talk about elk bros, man, and, and how we've had to do things a tough way. I remember the first GPS I had, you know, I, I got the smallest model I could, you know, something that was going to mark camp and or mark where, where I was at when I left uh, the bike or the truck and make sure I can get back to it or where I can mark a kill. But the GPS, and now uh, I use Onyx Hunt. I think a lot of guys use Onyx Hunt. If you sure. don't know about it, look it up. Because instead of spending three $400 on a GPS, most people already have the cell phone. And I think the subscriptions right around $20 a year yeah. um, uh, for, for one state. You know, if you're doing multiple states, it's a different deal. You can go there to their site on X hunt and you can check that out. Um, they are not one of our sponsors. Uh, this is things that I use. I'm telling you about stuff I use and I'd rather, if I'm going to have a cell phone, I'd rather spend $20 for a subscription and use this as my GPS and go spend another $300, $400 on a GPS. That's money I can, you know, for other stuff that's critical for me in camp, you know, I want to make sure that I'm sleeping good, that I'm eating good, and uh, keeping my energy sources up. So I tell you that that three $400 can buy a lot of baloney. For sure, <laughs> so, for sure. So, uh, and, a lot of uh, beans and weenies. Yeah. Yes, sir. For, and, for sure. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, what if you don't have self-service? Um, you don't need it. You know, the GPS works without any kind of data connection. And I tell you what, it works great. I, I use it all over the state here. And uh, yep. it has totally, you know, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever been up in these mountains alone, Gilbert, but you know, I do a lot of, I did a lot of solo hunting and it used to be when, you know, it's kind of like when you're a little kid, you get to know your, your house first, Sure. then you kind of go out in the yard and you kind of explore a little bit and then you might go into the neighbors, but you always want to make sure you can get back home, right? Yep. Well, that's how it was hunting. I mean, you, you had to be real careful about where you went. You had to kind of know where fence lines were. Sure, you could read maps and stuff like that. But still, you know, you get stuck in the dark. That gets to be a booger. So you use fence lines. You use roads if there's any of those. And um, it it really kind of held you down a little bit. Whereas now? Yeah, you can rock and roll. I hear an animal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gone and i i do not worry one bit i do things like i carry a, a compass with me just sure. in case i carry a secondary um GPS. Uh, gps of some kind one of my old ones that i have just right. in case uh and uh man i'm 
I'm going. And I think that has changed the game for me the most because I have zero fear. I'm not back looking and, and stuff like that. I'm, I'm going after animals and not to mention when we're on public land, we can actually touch on that program and know exactly whether we're on public land, state land, BLM, private. You can see all the boundaries around you. It's a it's an unbelievable piece of equipment. I would agree 100% that GPS has changed the way that we hunt, for sure. Well, it's changed the it's changed a lot of things. I mean, the the way we scout. Yeah. The the way we plan, you know, um Absolutely. the way we to do the morning hunt. We say, okay, we're going yeah. over here and we put a mark down and we go there. You know? Right. Right. No, no doubt. I mean, you know, everything, it's like being there cause you can get a satellite view, a satellite image of where, where you're going to be. I mean, it's a, uh, it's pretty remarkable. You know, I used to fish professionally and uh, the GPS changed the game and it's forever changing the game about being able to understand where you went safety wise kept us from hitting foreign objects and right we that we knew the pig trails to run on these lakes and stuff <laughs> well, like that so I well mean, it, going back to the thing about you know two hours before daylight yeah yeah gps's yeah. yeah you know uh that gps sometimes is giving you a straight line for sure and, uh, for sure you know you got to be real careful because i've walked up on a you know on a cliff in in the dark yeah. and yeah you, you know it can't always go as the crow flies. So no, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I mean it doesn't have sonar, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right? right? So you're not being able to see those foreign objects and stuff, right, right, for sure. So cool. Well, cool, man. So our main topic today that we were talking about here in Elk Camp uh, before we got on our questions was, you know, let's talk about camo. All you right, know, how how important is it? With some of your philosophies, Joe. So. I hear a lot of things on camo uh, from a lot of people, you know, um, a lot of people that I respect. And, uh, you know, I, I remember back in the day when I first started, Chuck Adams was somebody everybody looked up to. And Chuck was always out there in a pair of blue jeans and a brown hat and maybe a camo top and everything and, and stalking animals. And so um, a lot of people – it, it's pretty much known that if you're not moving, it's hard for an animal to see you. It's about movement, right? For sure. But uh, with me, it's kind of all of these things fall in the same line. Um, scent control, camo. Uh, you hunt with me. We have no fire in camp. None. And uh, right. I don't I don't want any, any smoke on me when I'm out there. Um, but as far as camouflage goes, I can tell you I have in all of my encounters over these last 30-some years, there's been times where I haven't been camoed properly or I've been in a certain type of pattern. And I've had animals both look at me and I've had animals look through me. For sure. So... I believe any edge that you can get. Now, I'm a coach, and, uh, you know, I did things with my athletes that um, 
were things to give us that little bit of edge, whether it's being hydrated, whether it's doing a standing start versus, you know, a crouch start, just different things that I studied to be able to get just that one inch because sometimes the difference between winning and losing is that one inch. No doubt. And same thing with those animals. Sometimes it's that three yards. Sometimes it's that 10 yards, you know, and I have been in camouflage and, and really, I like 3D stuff on, on my top. I, I really do. I, I like that. And, uh, and it's because I've had elk walk by me so close that they've almost knocked the arrow off my bow. And I'm in a crouch position with my bow in front of me. Yep. You know, uh, I mean, I've got basically they're going by me like I'm the bush. And they're going by me and I'm waiting for them to blow up behind me when they catch my scent line and stuff. But I've just seen how animals can spot, you know, you've been out there with nothing covering your face and all of a sudden, you know, if it shines a little bit. Bright and shiny, yep. Yeah. They pick it up. Yeah, they pick it up. I I tell everybody, you know, we're we're guests amongst their homes uh, and you know, if somebody walks into your house and moves your sofa out of the way and moves, <laughs> you know, turns your TV upside down, uh-huh. they're going to know, you're going to know it when you walk in the door. It's the right. same thing with those animals. They walk through there every day. And when something's different, not right, that's not right, they know it, right? And uh, I believe, just like you said, the philosophy of blending in, uh, you know, not moving until they're moving. Because uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think that most of them won't see you as long as you're not making furtive movements where it's quicker than they're moving uh, or, you know, they're right on top of you or whatever. I've had them look straight through me like I was just an uh, ornate object, like right. I was a rock there, right? And I'm in front of a spruce tree and I'm, right. in, I'm in camo and they don't, even, they don't even recognize me being a person. They just walk right on by. So I want people to think about this. When you're looking for danger, you're usually looking for something hiding behind something. And that's how I kind of see what elk do too, is that they are looking behind things or around things to see if there's something there. And I've had them look around me, you know, so they're actually, that's why it's so important to set up in front of stuff that's breaking up your outline because they're actually looking past you. They're looking, you know, for things that are, that are back in that background. So I, and myself, I I like a, a crouch position. I'm down on, on my knees. I like to be low to the ground. That's just what I like to How Do I kill them standing? You have Mm -hmm. to do what you have to do for the the correct shot, but that's my favorite position to be in. But my going back to the philosophy on how important camo is to me, it's very important to me. Now I'm not a scientist. Uh, I'm not the expert. This is my opinion. And no, I, I'm with you. I, I think that camo is a huge part. It plays a huge part in what we do. Um, I, I think also the scent control part is huge too, right? Mm-hmm. Not having anything, not having gasoline on you, not having smoke on you. Um, and another thing that really pay you pay that scientists now have seen deer and, uh, uh, those type of animals, elk, deer, mm-hmm. uh, moose, they mm-hmm. can see UV light, right? So 
If you have any UV brighteners that you use to wash your camo with, it actually makes that UV pop in your camo and they can see that stuff. Right. So those are studies that they've done long, you know, a while back that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Joe, is I notice a lot of times you wear a different style camo on your top and a different style camo on your bottom. Do you like doing that? Breaking your camo up? I, I do. Um, I don't think all of that came from uh, plan originally. I think that came from economics. Oh, you know, yeah, for you sure. Know, uh, I, you know, I, I'm the type of person, like, um, if we talk about what we look for in camo, I, I like patterns that um, uh, are, are big patterns that, that break up uh, better. I don't like dark, tight patterns. I like, uh, but at the same time, I think it's really, really advantageous. You know, when you look out there in, in the woods, man, there, there's rocks, there's grass, there's trees, you know, they break up because they're different textures and they're different looks. And I'll wear uh, one type of shirt, a different type of vest, different type of britches, you know, um, I just think, uh, when I first started again, you know, I had to wear what I had, but sure. now over the years, I've, you know, my wife says, I have, I have a ton more camo than I, I think I have, I, I think I have two pair of dress pants in my closet, but I, <laughs> I probably have about 20 pair of britches, you know, camo britches. And, uh, sure. um, but even now you've been with me, you see how I kind of, how I kind of break up and the, the type of patterns my mom was an artist and, and I was an artist. And when I was very young, when we used to do art, my mom would talk about contrast, you know, so that things had contrast in, in them. So I learned a technique then that if you take and you set out a pattern and, and you squint your eyes at it, you know, kind of almost shut your eyes a little bit. It darkens everything so that you can kind of see the contrast a lot better. And, mm-hmm. It's so funny because I, if you've ever watched me, I wonder if I've ever been on tape, you know, at some of these places uh, when when I go in. First thing I'm doing is, is I'm grabbing, I'm grabbing the sleeves or, or the pant legs and I'm rubbing them back and forth. Yeah. No, you know? no shower curtains for sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't want that, sh- 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 you know, right. uh, I want myself as silent as possible. That's one thing I look at. And then I get it up there on the side and I squint my eyes at it. You, my wife now, my wife goes around and she looks at patterns when I'm there and she kind of squints her eyes and she goes, yeah, that one's too dark, huh? Cause it, it, it will, it'll pull everything together and I've seen so many times I see guys walking through the woods. Yeah. When we're standing two, three feet away from each other with normal light. Yeah. You can see those patterns on there, but you get 20 yards, 30 yards away. And, and you start to look at, they start turning into a dark blob. And so I want to break myself up as much as possible. I, I want patterns that are going to look with large uh, areas in them that break up, but at the same time, when you get close, they have some of that detail in it, so it still breaks it up when it's close. So that's uh, that's kind of the the patterns that I look for. Cool. Um, yeah, you you can, make can some, you can you can you can you suggest any type of pattern 
for the starting out guys and it's economical. It doesn't break the bank. I mean, there's some really expensive stuff out there between OptiFade and all these different camos. Right? Yeah. They're, they're very, they're, very expensive. And, you know, all I can say is, you know, a lot of those are, are systems and, uh, and they're good systems. If you can afford to have some of that, some of those layering systems and, and you're going to be hunting in, uh, in difficult, conditions difficult places uh, mm-hmm. that's you know that's something to possibly look into but for me again economically uh man i picked up my patterns at, at walmart and sure. uh at the same time i didn't pick up every pattern at walmart you know i'd go in right. there and there and i'm not going to call out any specific pattern but y'all can do your squint eye test on anything but there were some of those that uh that you know, just were just way too dark. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen some companies that have a real dark pattern. They have one, like there's a pattern that I have that's kind of, uh, it almost looks like Aspen, uh, up in the Aspen area. And even though I'm not always in Aspen, it really has some nice big splotches and stuff mm. on it that, that break up really well. There's um, a camo, there's a camo behind you right there, Woodlands camo. It's been, I don't know how many animals ever been killed wearing a Woodlands camo. Yeah, but it, wow. even that, even that it's, Woodland camo myself, you know, right. I think if you'd ever seen, uh, I think Cabela had one of those guide patterns or something like that, that was mm-hmm. really light and darks. And, um, I, I really like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I've worn some of the predator stuff. Uh, there was a Walmart pattern that, was perfect for the oak brush areas that we were because it was kind of a light but it had some branches going through it and some sure. uh, different things but if you looked at it it was really well broke up so right. uh, uh the, one of the best patterns is going to be elk bros when we get it done man Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. you know I, I i know what i'm looking for you know and for sure. I, I think when you look at patterns that that look like some of them blur when when and almost have a 3d kind of in out type look to give some depth, I guess is the word word for it. Those are, are good things. But you know, if, if you're just um, having to decide through a lot of things, I would say go for patterns that break up as, as good as possible. Um, Most of the uh, more inexpensive stuff you're going to buy is going to be cotton. So you, when you wash it, you want to wash it with the right kind of detergents that don't do the UV stuff. Right. And, and I always turn them inside out. So um, I'm trying to protect the pattern on the outside as much as possible. I don't want it just to fade out and look all white either. Right. And, washed out. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had some of those patterns on washed sure. out and had some of those animals come by and they just, boom, they're just looking at you like that. Yeah. So, yeah, and that goes into another thing that I think we could talk about, about camos fabric, right? For right. me, I think the most important thing is to be silent, you know. So I look for fleece or brushed cotton, uh, even some of the new polyester stuff that's out that's really soft. Some of that's kind of shiny, but at the end of the day, it makes no noise when we draw. It makes no noise. It doesn't pile when we're walking through the brush, in, in, in those things. But I think the most important thing, you know, is the fleece is such a, a great product to be silent with. Right. I and, really, I, I really like fleece, um, especially in the mountains. It's a great layer. Uh, my wife has made me some, we found some, 
different patterns and stuff that she's made me some tops out of. And um, For sure. that's like some of my most treasured items. I have a fleece top that I've had for years that she made for me. And uh, you've been wearing it ever since I've hunted with you. Yeah. And for sure. it's kind of, you know, I have a fleece pack. Um, I have some different stuff like that, but you know, I just know, I, I even have this system. I call it, it's, it's a fleece, uh, backpack and a fleece fanny pack that I wear when I'm doing some other stuff. And I call it my killing system because when I get out there and, and uh, I just feel like I'm totally silent. And again, that all goes to attitude and your confidence. And mm-hmm. if I'm out there moving through and I feel like, you know, I can get it, get in and on animals, then I, I feel a lot, a lot better. I've hunted with some really accomplished guys, uh, deer hunting and elk hunting. And I'm going to tell you, I've, I've seen guys try to draw on animals, deer included, and their clothing is what ruins it for them. You know, we get these deer and we get these elk in close and tight and it's, it's so quiet. You could hear a, a gnat pass gas at, you know, 300 <laughs> yards. Right, I mean, right. for, yeah. for real, it's quiet in there. And right. they go to draw and their camel goes, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a shower curtain. Well, so, I mean, and I'll tell you a big culprit to that too, though, Gilbert, is, is um, people's packs. Oh, yeah. You know, because Speaking you wear some of these. Creaking. Well, it, not only the, the creaking, but uh, if if you don't have uh, one of those those chest snaps on there, get one so it pulls it in tight, keeps it as much off your shoulders so that you get as much freedom. Mm-hmm. If you can, you know, check how that sound is when you're doing that because if you're drawn and you're making now in hunting deer you you don't get away with that man Mm -hmm. you're in tight and you oh yeah blown so important to be silent with that draw right i see guys I, i i guided probably five or six guys this year deer hunting and we had really nice deer in our range ready to rock and roll broadside begging for it <laughs> and they go to draw and you know the whole herd or the deer you know is alerted to it because of the clothing they're wearing so and i've tried to talk to them before you know but well we've talked about patterns with uh with bow hunters that you know rifle hunters too you know well, uh, sure. and you got to be real careful about that because different states have different rules about orange and different things like that right. and it's not as critical you're not getting as close I think it's probably um, because you're in the later seasons with that as well. I think that's uh, when it's better to have some type of layering system Mm -hmm. when you do that. But, you know, depending on where you are economically, you can do that layering system instead of, you know, instead of having that merino wool, you might have a polyprope that you can pick up at Walmart. And just that little thin layer against your skin will pull that moisture. It'll keep you warm. Because I can tell you when I put just a thin polyprope underneath my britches, man, I mean, I'd be cold without it, but just that yeah. one little bit of layer. and Makes I'm, a huge difference. Big difference. So, you know, the, the, the camouflage with, uh, I would say, for the rifle hunter, um, your, your silence and stuff isn't as critical. It's definitely not because you're going to take shots with the longer ranges. Um, 160 to, you know, 200, 250 yards. So it's not that critical. You can get away with a lot of things on that. The, I think the most important thing, though, is to have something that is comfortable and is not binding when you've got to get into a shooting position so that uh, you're you're not impairing yourself when you take that shot. So that's sure. something to talk about for that as well. Okay. For sure. 
Um, I think the the last part of that was the layering on on the the camouflage. And right. I I kind of touched on that, but in the mountains, the most important thing is layers. The no most doubt. important thing. So you know, for me, for me, less is more. I mean, I, I, I sweat, I sweat a lot. I get hot when I get heated up. I can go on about a three minute hike and I'm, I'm heated up. Right. So if I got on five layers, man, I'm going to be wet. So for me, I have to almost be a little cool while I'm sitting. Uh, you know, if I'm posted up somewhere, being a little cool is all right. Cause when I got to go, things change, you know, well, that's what I'm going to tell a lot of I mean, people. I carry, I carry another jacket with me, you know, if I need it. Yeah, and the thing is, is whatever you feel really comfortable at before you leave camp, if you're walking out of camp and you're getting ready to put in some miles, you need to take off one of those layers. And so, like, for example, I'll, I'll have, uh, uh, depending on how cool it is that year, but I might have a, a, a layer, a thin layer, uh, under layer, and then uh, I'll have a, a T-shirt on top of that. I might have my fleece top on top of that, and uh, and then a possible vest, depending on how cold it is. Well, that fleece is going to probably come off, and I'm going to be in that T-shirt and a little bit of an under. But I I don't want to put that thick jacket on because I t- man, you get up in the morning, that thick jacket looks nice. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know, it's nice and warm, sure. but for sure. You go out with that thing, up, man. yeah, it's going in the pack. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I like, you know, one of the things I do, and we'll talk about this too, is I carry my rain gear with me, and if I get cold, that rain gear will knock that wind off. And uh, so, I, for me, I carry, you know, I put one layer on, just a base layer, and then I put a fleece shirt on that I have, and then a vest. And that's it, man. And right. Unless it's below 35, 30 right. degrees, I'm right. not putting a jacket on. Just I'll put the vest on and rock and roll. You know. Well, I can tell you what we'll do sometimes even better than uh, a, a jacket is is a neck muff. Oh, yeah, you know, for sure. You put a yep. neck muff on. Yep. Um, uh, you put a warm hat on yeah. because most of your heat goes outside your head. So you yeah. keep that stocking cap and you keep your regular cap. Instead of putting a jacket on, you put that muff on, you know, yeah. and man, you'll be warming up really, really quick because right. a lot of that cool air that goes down that neck is, is what hits you. So uh, when, when you got to think about layers out there, out here, no matter what you're hunting, if, especially if you're hunting in the right hunt, you better think about layers and, um, you're going to probably carry, you know, depending on what you're doing, because if it's that late season, if it's a late October, if it's a November hunt, you're going to be wearing a little bit of an outer jacket there. You so, bet. You bet. um, you know, there's, and now they have a lot of those in inexpensively, you can get some of those scrunch jackets that you can yeah, packable. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. They're real packable. Throw sure. that on and it gives you some insulation and different things. I think protecting the face, protecting the ears, making sure your head's warm and your hands, you know, makes uh, goes a long way to not needing a whole lot of stuff on the body. I, I agree. Uh, for me, like I said, you know, fat boy, he's he going to heat up pretty quick. So <laughs> less is less is more for me. Uh, but that segues into our, our next topic on camo is what about rain gear, Joe? Uh, so rain gear, um, I myself have always been a poncho guy. Um, 
I've taken guys out that had really, really. Now you you brought some uh, some rain gear to camp this year that was really light. It was really breathable. I kind of went, hmm. It was quiet. Yeah. You know, it was really nice. And that's the one thing is a lot of rain gear. Noisy. It, it's noisy. It um it, it's kind of binding. You start sweating inside of it. Yeah. You know. Now again, there's a lot of this breathable stuff. It just depends on where you're at. And myself. My rain gear is a poncho. Um, I kind of, I, I, if it's a little drizzle, I kind of stay in the trees. I work from tree to tree, kind of keep me dry. But if it starts to come down, what I like about a poncho is uh, I can put my gun or my bow or anything right there in front of me, my pack. I throw that poncho out, and I'm in a tent, man. I mean, it can downpour, which it does here in New Mexico. I mean, we For can sure. get five, 10 minutes just hammering you. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just warm and cozy. And I see a lot of these guys that are wearing rain gear with a pack and they're stuck standing out in it, man. Their, their packs getting wet, their bows getting wet and uh, all, all their stuff. I mean, they're staying dry inside their, their rain gear, but everything else gets wet. And I kind of prefer to keep everything dry. And then that storm goes by because if you don't like the weather in New Mexico, just wait five minutes. For sure. Yeah, I've been with you too. And it's, you know, it'll start hailing and it could snow. I mean, there's a lot of things that could go on. But a lot of them thunderstorms brew up really fast. So, you know, you got to have something where you can hunker down. I mean, last year y'all, you know, had to make a little tent with your with your poncho so y'all could all get up under. I mean, it's hail, big hail coming down. Right. So and it was, that was uh, the dangerous. other thing. That's the nice thing about the poncho. You know, I just took corner to corner, corner to corner, and there's three of us sitting underneath that thing just snug as a bug, you know. For sure. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it the has poncho, its advantages. The poncho makes a big deal. I was This year I was wearing some Cabela's MT50 stuff that's uh, Gore-Tex, and mm-hmm. they, it's a real brushed, uh, like a brushed fleece that's real lightweight and makes a lot, it doesn't make a lot of racket. It's packable. It goes inside itself. I can strap it on my fanny pack that I wear. And uh, then the same with the pants, they roll up real small that you can put it in the top of your fanny pack and you know, you can break out that gear if you need it. And then I like you, I carry a poncho, but the poncho I carries for my gear. I put the poncho over my bow and it keeps my bow from being in the rain and stuff like that. And if I need it, we can use it for a little lean to or whatever. Right. And you know, and you got to look into that because not all ponchos are the same. Some of them are water resistant right. right? and you can be walking that thing and feeling wet underneath there, you know, <laughs> yeah. that. I try to stay away from the PVC stuff and I mm-hmm. go to the, you know, the army surplus store and get an army, uh, one of the army, uh, ponchos that they right. have. And they generally breathe a little bit better than the PVC stuff. That PVC stuff, man, you can get wetter inside it than you can being outside it. You know? Yeah. And I've, and I've done it all. I mean, gosh, our first ponchos were, you know, the $10 Walmart ponchos, yeah, man. Yeah. It was just then, basically to keep us dry and save us and, sure. and then get it off and get moving. So, for sure. uh, and they don't, they don't go down that tight and stuff, but, uh, I, you know, my ponchos are strictly for, I, I don't, I don't want to hunt in them. I don't like hunting in them. Um, if I have to, hopefully the storms are going to go by and that's usually what's happening that time of year. They kind of hit, you know, they're like guerrilla warfare. They hit you and move on. They come quick too, man. They I've been, do. 
I, I'm telling you, I've been, I had to go get in the truck a couple of times. It was so violent, you know, uh, we normally stay in a tent and everything. And I'm telling you, it was so violent that I had to get in the truck. I don't like lightning. I mean, that's in the mountains. It's just, that's one of the things you dread most, most of all is. Oh man, me and lightning do not mix, man. That scares me to death. (laughs) For sure. I mean, in every, (laughs) everywhere you're at up there is a big tall tree, you know? So it's like all these ground rods up there that, you know, you're just trying to dodge. But, and yeah, then you're I mean, walking and you're looking at trees that are blown up, you know, and yeah, got splits sure. down them. And you're like, Surely. oh, man. Yeah. Right. Or, or, you know, they hit real close to you and blow bark all over you. I mean, that's real harrowing. I, right. I, I think it's real important, too, to, to pay attention to your weather patterns. Try to, you know, we've all got cell phones now. Sometimes when we're on these peaks, we can get a signal and get, get a little bit of a satellite image of some of some uh, weather coming in stuff like that. I think even on the Onyx, it's got something now where weather can, uh, can you can, you know, if you're going to hunt the mountains of New Mexico in September, you can in in that early, you know, time oh. of year, you can pretty much count on, you know, mornings being nice and afternoons getting a, you know, getting a thunder uh, boomer, getting a boomer coming in on you. So yeah, you just sure. got to be ready for it. And, and and they come in hard and, and then they, they move out quick. But I, I think if I was going to be hunting and uh, I've never hunted out in New Mexico, but I think if I was ever going someplace like British Columbia, or if I had to hunt in Oregon or some of those wet States, I'd totally have to reevaluate the situation. But yeah. um, for where I'm at here and I think Colorado, I've been, you know, I got a lot of friends in Southern Colorado in that area. It's, you know, pretty much the same thing that, you know, we kind of on the same page as far as that goes. For sure. Well, it's been an absolutely great show today talking about camo and uh, answering viewer questions and everything. Uh, I'd like to thank you today, Joe, for spending time with us at Elk Camp. Hey, this is our thing, man. Always a pleasure. Uh, Like to thank our audience for for tuning in and uh, we'll, uh, we can't wait to be back next week. So, uh, That'll do it for me and Joe today. Uh, Welcome you guys back to elk camp next week and look forward to it. Blue collar elk hunters, buddy. See you later. See you, brother. (laughs) 